Well, I would like to wish you a happier New Year. I put it that way because I think a lot of us are struggling. We just sang that last song um, about our world in which we live. It's a mess in many, many ways. And Jesus Christ is going to come back in the future and fix it all. Nita and I talk about that a lot when we look at the news and hear things. We always talk about the fact that this is only temporary. And Jesus Christ is coming And He's going to take care of all of the injustice. He's going to take care of all the lying and deceit and the violence and the murder. All of that. In an instant. In fact, He's going to do it without a shot being fired. I believe He's going to do it with a word. Just like He created this world with words. And that is something wonderful to look forward to. And that's actually what we're going to be exploring in God's Word this morning as we have our little Bible study together. I want to talk about eternity, which is a big subject, but more specifically, heaven. If you are ready for heaven you have a wonderful thing to look forward to. If you're not, it will be eternal disaster for you. And I pray that God would use His Word to speak to maybe both groups here this morning. This is New Year's Eve. It hardly seems like it. I've lived through many New Year's Eves. It's under a hundred. But... Quite a few. And most of them I don't remember at all. But I remember one very, very distinctly was 24 years ago. Nita reminded me of this this morning, which is why I share this. Um, 24 years ago. It was December 31st, 1999. If you remember, some of you weren't even alive then, but some of you remember, could I use the term Y2K? Remember that? We were back in Illinois at that time, and it was Y2K where someone somewhere made some computer programming error, and it was supposed to bring down every computer in the world and cut our electricity, and some of our family was sitting together, I think Dan and Amy, you were there, we were sitting together in a little room in my sister's house, and um, yeah, We took a few precautionary steps. We had candles lit. Just in case. 
But of course, looking back, it turned out to be a non-event. Didn't happen. Like a lot of events that people scare us with. It was a non-event. But that same day, something else happened in our lives that was a very, very significant event. We buried my father. He died two days before that. Uh, He was a follower of Jesus most of his life and uh, loved the Lord and influenced me tremendously. Came down with cancer. A couple months later, we buried him on that day, December 31st, 1999. He lived for 90 years, which for some of you seems like a long time, right? I mean, really, really long. But relative to what he entered, it was a sliver. He entered eternity. Thousands, millions and millions and millions of years of his existence in the very presence of of the Lord whom he loved. Which leads me into the subject of the morning is I want to have us talk about heaven. What's it like? And knowing about it, so what? Is knowing about it just filling our heads with more information Or is there something a lot deeper and a lot more profound and a lot more eternal? When I look into God's Word about heaven, I go to the very last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. I'd like you to turn there in your Bible, your device. Some of these, I think all of the references will be up on the screen, but i like to have you sit there and look so you can meditate, maybe Mark and that sort of thing. But um, turn to the book of Revelation and chapter 21. A little personal disclosure. The first time I studied the book of Revelation in depth was when I was at Emmaus Bible College. And... Um, I did not do very well in the Revelation course. uh, course. In fact, I will admit to you, it's the only course in my years of college, three different places, that I failed. Because I just didn't understand it. But looking back and reading it again and again... And again, while a lot of things are still somewhat confusing, hard to put together, and definitely hard to put them on a timeline, um, this is now my favorite book in the Bible. Because I like to read happy endings of books. Sometimes I read a book, read the first chapter, and then go right to the last chapter just to see how it ends. And this is what I want us to do, to look at the last two chapters of this book. 
to summarize the book of Revelation, I would do it this way. Chapters 1 through 3, Jesus Christ writes letters to churches in the part of the world that we now call the Middle East. By the way, the whole book is about Jesus. That's why we call it the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Him. It's given by Him. And it's for His glory. Chapters 4 through 20. We have a record of terrible judgments, wrath that Jesus Christ, because He is worthy, that we just sang about, because He's worthy, He executes terrible judgment on this world, culminating the end of chapter 20 at an event that we call the Great White Throne where He sits on a throne of judgment because He's worthy to do that. And everyone who comes before Him are those who have not put their personal faith in Him for their salvation. Everyone is going to be silent. They will have no defense. And everyone will be thrown into what we call the lake of fire or hell forever. For eternity. And then the last two chapters that we're going to look at this morning is where God's people who have put their faith in Christ will live forever and enjoy forever. It's going to be better than we think. So I want to look at that a little bit. And I want to, first of all, read from the first four verses. Chapter 21 says this. Then I, and this is the Apostle John, who knew Jesus really well. He was one of his disciples. I saw a new heaven. He's given a glimpse into what heaven is like. The curtain is kind of pulled back, and he can look through that and see a little bit about what it's like. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For, because the former things have passed away. Let me just make a couple of observations about these verses. Number one, we see that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth because 
the original heaven. And this is a reference not to where God is, but this is a reference to our atmosphere, the heavens. The heavens and this earth will be no more. It says in Second Peter, what is it, chapter 3, that the time will come when fire will destroy all life on this earth and it will be no more. Remember Noah? God destroyed all life with water. In this particular judgment of God where the new heavens and earth are created, He destroys all life with fire. Which probably explains why at the end there's no more sea. It's vaporized. The other thing I want to point out is that it's going to be a city. A literal city, although pretty big. If you look further down in the chapter, you'll see that the city comes down from the heavens to the earth. We're not sure if it lands on the earth or is hovering above it. But this city is square, and it's as high as it is square. It's about 1,400 miles wide, both directions, and also 1,400 miles high. That's pretty big. Someone has estimated that. It's kind of like the distance. You take the Canadian border down to the Mexican border, north to south, and then from California, Oregon on the west, I should be going this way, over to the Appalachian Mountains on, on the east. It's kind of that big. It will hold a lot of God's saints. And then it says that it's from God. Anything that God makes is perfect. Just like when He created this world, He said it was good because it was. It's from Him. And then it's prepared like a bride gets herself ready for her wedding when she goes down the aisle to see her groom It's carefully prepared by God. Maybe a reference says in John 14, Jesus said, I'm going away, and I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's in on the preparation, which I believe is going on right now. It's going to be carefully prepared. Heaven will be perfect. Perfect. This world is a mess. Heaven will not be that way at all. And I want to talk to you about, real quick, seven perfections of heaven that 
describe a little bit about what this place will be like. The seven perfections of heaven, the first one is this. There's going to be perfect fellowship. Probably with one another, but more importantly with God. It says in verse 3, God says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. In heaven, to put it this way, God will love to hang out with us. He will just delight in spending time with us. He will be ecstatic that we were are going to be there with Him. Those of us that have trusted Him for our salvation. Why anyone would want to spend eternity or even a year with me is beyond me. But He will. He will want to spend not just a month, a year, a thousand years, a million years, a billion years, billions of years. He will want to spend eternity with us. Because He loves us that much. And that's a wonderful thing. Second, perfection of heaven is perfect joy. It says in verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. No more mourning, crying, pain anymore. This doesn't mean that when Christians get to heaven that Jesus is going to come and kind of wipe our tears that are flowing down our faces. I don't think there will be any tears at all to wipe away. They'll be gone. And there will be no grief or mourning. Some of you have been mourning the loss of loved ones. We've actually mourned the loss of people in our lives this very week. And it's very sad, but in heaven there will be zero sadness. Zero. None. It will all be a thing of the past. And then number three, there will be perfect satisfaction. You know, we humans on this earth always need new things to satisfy us. Kids every Christmas want new toys, even though the ones they got last year and the year before and the year before that were perfectly fine. But they want new toys. We adults like big toys, like new cars, new smartphones, new apps, new podcasts, whatever it is, always wanting something new to keep us occupied in heaven, that will not be the case. Verse 6 says, He said to me, It is done. I am, this is God speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty... I would say that refers to those who are not very satisfied. To the thirsty, 
I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. There's going to be a stream, a river that flows down from the throne. In fact, you read about it in chapter 22. The first two verses says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. God will be the headwaters. He will be the source. Whatever He gives is perfect. This stream will be illustrative of the fact that God will satisfy every one of His children who are with Him in heaven. And it flows through the middle of the street of the city. And then also, and this is really interesting, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Remember in the Garden of Eden, there was a particular tree, not the tree of knowledge and good of evil, which Adam and Eve ate from, sinned. There was another tree that they never touched. It was called the tree of life. And after they were sinned, they were banned from even getting close to it. Here in heaven, the tables are reversed. The tree of life appears again. And we will be able to get so close to it that we can actually pick the fruit off of it and I believe eat it just for enjoyment. Not because we need it for our health, but just for enjoyment. And it's an interesting tree. Wish I had a picture of this, but picture the river going down the center of the street from the throne of God. And you've got this tree over the top of the river. So some of the roots are on one side, some are on the other with the river going through that. And interesting is the fact that it not only has one kind of fruit, it has 12 kinds of fruit, one for every month of the year. Speaking of variety, if you like change... This will be a wonderful tree for you to partake of. And God will use that and just His presence to completely satisfy us and satisfy our spiritual thirst forever and ever. And then number four, perfect beauty. You can read the details yourselves from verses 9 to about 27 in the chapter. Heaven will have stunning beauty. I've gone to national parks. I've been to probably most of them in the West. You go to the Grand Canyon. You walk up to the edge and... And I remember just standing there staring for a long time. Done the same thing at Crater Lake Glacier National Park. Um, 
You stand there and the view is stunning. You want to take it in forever. Of course you can't. Heaven will be of such stunning beauty that we will stand and maybe float around the city. I'm not sure how that's going to work. And take it in and it will be stunning for eternity. It says in chapter 21, beginning with verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I think this was a look into the future where John actually sees most of us who are part of the church. We are the bride of Christ. He sees that, and then he gives him a tour of heaven. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having... Why is it so stunning? Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, and you can read the rest of us, the rest of that in, in that particular chapter. He sees it, it sort of looks like jasper, a precious stone. The word like is key. He's not saying it's made out of jasper and there's some other materials listed. It's like it. It's the closest thing he could think of. I believe the materials of heaven are going to be brand new. that have never been seen before. And we will look at them and enjoy the view forever. And then number five. Perfect worship. Verse 22 of chapter 21, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. Next chapter, verse 3, no longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. There won't be a temple, a place of meeting in heaven like we have this place of meeting when we gather together. We won't need that because God will be present everywhere and no matter where we will be in this huge place, we'll be able to focus on Him and He and His glory will be the focus of our worship. It'll be perfect worship. Not only that, we won't need, as it says in 22.3, His servants will worship Him, not because they have to. They won't need to be prompted to worship. It will just come naturally. Here on this earth, we need some prompts for worship. We remember Christ in the breaking of the bread as a reminder to worship. 
and to remember Jesus and what he did. We need those reminders. We won't need them in heaven. Worship will come naturally because we will be so engaged with God. And it will be an amazing thing. And then number six, perfect light. Verse 23, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives a light and its lamp is the Lamb. A few days ago, I went to Home Depot looking for an LED light bulb. It was a particular kind. If you've ever looked at their lighting section where they sell that kind of thing, it takes a while to look through it. Back in the old days, you just needed a 100-watt bulb, 60-watt bulb. You went and got it. Now you got to decide what color do you want daylight, cool, white, warm, white, soft, white? And I think I was there staring at all the options, trying to make my mind for 20 minutes. Heaven is not going to be that way. It will be very, very simple. There won't be a sun. There won't be a moon. There won't be electricity or light bulbs. The light will come from the glory of God. And it will be present everywhere, day and night. It's going to be an amazing thing. And then number seven, I love this, perfect security. You read further on in the chapter about the city actually has 12 foundations. Here in this world, that would be overkill. You need one good one. There will be 12. It will also have walls that, I had to do the math on this, will be 216 feet thick. Wall of my house is maybe that. Um, And it's okay. But this will even have a greater appearance of security, but verse 25 and 27, it says this, its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. You know, gates are used for security. Even Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, shuts its gates at night. If you try to get in after closing, you'll discover that. Heaven will have gates that are open all the time. They'll never need to be shut because there won't be any evil people there. Nothing unclean, excuse me, will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all evil people will be suffering in hell at that time and will not be any danger to those who are there in heaven. 
The rest of the chapter is an application. The angel and Jesus himself turns to John and gives some insights about how he's to respond to all of this. And in a nutshell, the response is, get ready. Get ready for eternity. Those who are ready will enjoy this wonderful existence in heaven. Those who are not will not. I want to point out two very quick things before we have our closing song and pray together. Number one, obey what Christ asks you to do. Chapter 22, verses 6 and 7 says this, He, and this is a reference to the angel, said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. In other words, this will really happen. You can count on it. You can stake your eternal life on it. It's going to happen. And then he goes on to say, And the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then verse 7. Jesus is talking. I put this in red so you recognize the difference between what the angel said, what Jesus said. Jesus says, and behold, yeah, angel's right. I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Not just knows it. That's important. But knows it and then follows through, structures their life on earth accordingly. Angel says these words are dependable and Jesus says structure your life and be ready for this time. Some of us then need to follow through with the whole area of obedience. To keep his word means to obey what he says. Followers of Jesus not only know what Jesus teaches, but then they commit themselves to learn how to actually follow through on what he says. It's possible that some of you are struggling with sin issues in your life right now. And you know the truth of what God is trying to tell you. And you're resisting obeying what Jesus says. And the call, if Jesus would walk in this room, I think he would say the same thing. He would say, your life is going to be blessed if you keep 
the words that you have heard. And then the second response that John is called to is to accept Christ's invitation. And I love this. In verses 15, 14 and 15, says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates outside the city. Totally different group of people are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral murderers and idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. To be able to get into that city, to enjoy the tree of life, the water of life, and all of these perfect provisions of the Lord, you've got to be washed. That means you need to experience forgiveness for your sins through the shed blood, the broken body, the work that Christ did on the cross that we celebrated a bit ago. Have you done that? Have you done that? It's urgent you do it soon if you have not trusted in what Jesus has done. The day will come when the opportunity that you have been given right now, the invitation is wide open. Come. Jesus says, come. The day will come when that door of invitation will close. And unfortunately, your destiny will be as it's listed in the end of chapter 20. At the terrible time of judgment at the hands of Jesus, who is worthy to do that. And so I encourage you to come. It's interesting, it says here in Revelation, it's a free invitation. It's without price, like the water was. It says it's available Free. You don't have to make yourself better. You don't have to do certain things. You don't need to prove yourself to God. You just come admitting your sin. Admitting you need Jesus. Confessing that He died for you and that is enough. I often say, or give the illustration or ask the question of people supposing you would come to the gates of heaven and God would say, why should I let you come into my heaven? You know what my answer would be? God, I don't deserve to be here at all. I am totally unworthy. But Jesus has taken my place on the cross. Died for me. I've trusted Him. And I thank you that you're going to let me in. And he will. Father, I pray you would speak to us 
thank you for this wonderful information, this insight into the eternal heaven. But Lord God, we pray for some that aren't ready. Some that maybe have confessed Christ as Savior and yet are living really, really far away from You. Lord, bring them back. And for some that have never taken the first step, speak to them. Pray that they would accept Your free invitation. In Jesus' name, Amen.